Hey there, listener. This is Jamie Lewis, host of the Consumed podcast that features conversations with California's tastemakers. I usually drop 10 episodes every three months, but this is a special bonus episode that I'm publishing between seasons. Why? Because it focuses on a time-sensitive issue that I know you'll want to learn about. Here's the context. Not too long ago, I got a text from Jensen Lorenzen, the founder of Larder Meat Company in San Luis Obispo. Now, Jensen has been on Consumed before, so if you don't know about him, look back at season one for that episode. But he texted me this time for a specific reason. Here's what his message said. Would you be interested in hosting me and Daniel Sinton from Avenales Ranch and Winery on Consumed to discuss the state of our national commodity meat system? I don't think most Americans truly understand how delicate our national supply actually is, or more importantly to me, how even locally the larger system is threatening the livelihood of local ranchers each year, making it harder to justify maintaining their herds and land. I know I've already been on the podcast, so I totally understand if you can't do this, but I'm really worried about what might happen in the next year if we don't expose what's happening. If the pendulum of industry doesn't swing back to locally supported agriculture very soon, Americans, including residents of Slow County, will soon find it very difficult to afford domestic meat and locally sourced will be as foreign to our kids as knowing your best friend's phone number. Okay, so in any case, I said yes, and here's why. I know Jensen, and I trust him to be fair, even on a subject in which he has a vested interest. He truly cares about this issue and the people involved, which is why he invited Daniel Sinton on from Avenalis Ranch and Winery. But I want to be upfront about a couple things. First, Larder is a sponsor of this podcast. So I suppose you'd call this sponsored content? I don't know, but I figure it's best to be really clear about that from the outset. I'll let you decide how to receive their stories, concerns, and positions on the meat industry. They have a much more thorough and up-close understanding of it than most, certainly more than I do, and I believe they're worth listening to. Here's Jensen Lorenzen of Larder Meat Co. and Daniel Sinton of Avenales Ranch and Winery. So tell me why, tell me in your own words why you got in touch. The fairly simple answer is that I listen to a podcast on the daily about a subject that, that I thought I knew a lot about, the meat industry. I mean, I own a meat company, and I was blown away by how much I was missing. And I just thought to myself that if, if I'm blown away by this, and I had never heard this story t- told exactly this way, then I'm sure there are plenty of other people um, outside of the industry that, that need to hear this story. Yeah. And so that, you know, to me, the implications of that are, are pretty major when you, know, when you hear what's going on here. Yeah, and when we say it, what is it? What is that story? It's the history of our, our protein supply chain in the United States as it affects uh, the source, so ranchers, and as it affects the consumer, mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. you know, and how the history has changed um, what's, you know, what we're actually dealing with right now and what the future ramifications of that are. Yeah. And you said that it's pretty urgent. Um, you even said, I think, within the next year that it was going to have ramifications. Well, I mean, Daniel and I are seeing it right now in real time. And these issues are definitely not getting better. Yeah. So they're arguably getting worse. Um, and, and I just thought, you know, when Danny and I first talked, we thought, you know, how can we get this to as many people as possible? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that the more practical way to do that is to just educate our local community. And the way that we could do that is by, you know, the, the three of us sharing it, sharing this information on our networks. Mm-hmm. And I think even just starting with that group, um, that could create a, a, you know, a web of education that can spread beyond this this county yeah um but if nothing else 
you know, we wanted to make sure to get this information to our, our community. Yeah. Okay. So Daniel, I know that there is, um, I know that there's a story about your grandfather, right? Maybe could you walk me through the origins of your land? Tell me a little bit about, about the ranch. Sure. So I'm a fifth generation rancher in the, in San Luis Obispo County. Hmm. Uh, my great, great grandfather was Bernard Sinsheimer. He owned a store downtown. Yes, of course. Um, nobody wanted to do business with Germans in the war. So he changed his last name to Sinton, uh, which is just a name out of the blue. No, I'm um, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Sinsheimer is a really, uh, there's an interesting story there in, in terms of, who settled San Luis Obispo? There weren't many Germans who were doing that. Right. Yeah. So his uh, his two half brothers came here first, and then they paid for him to come and uh, help start the store, and then kind of grew from there. Um, he started picking up land in uh, mostly the north county and eastern part of that county near Pozo and Shandon, and so um, back then we had lots and lots of ranches and we kind of slowly dwindled down to what we have now which is 18,000 acres there's two mm-hmm. ranches a 12,000 acre ranch outside of Pozo and a 6,000 acre ranch outside of Shandon mm-hmm. and um, it's been cattle for 145 years um, uh, 1875 was when we first founded the ranches and then mm-hmm. 1906 for the ones near Shandon so anyway we've been we've been running cattle uh, ever since and I grew up on the ranch my father grew up on the ranch um my grandfather was uh you know around until just a few years ago and so you know growing up and and watching him go through the system and everything like that um you know my first introduction into the cattle system well and 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 the food supply system that we're talking about is uh one of the stories is that i I was out with my grandfather we had some cattle in the pasture one of the big packer guys uh, came to look at the cattle to tell us what we'd get for our price. Mm-hmm. And I was standing there, and I was young. I was probably 10. And this guy and my grandfather was sitting there looking out of the pasture, looking at the cattle. And he says, okay, well, I'll give you 62 cents for them uh, per pound. And my grandfather looked at him. He said, well, JB, the price is 70 cents. The market's at 70 right now. He's like, well, that's what I'll give you for them. And grandfather said okay so they made a deal to come and get him and he when he the guy had left he turned to me and said you know there's no sense in fighting with them because what's going to happen is if i tell him no he's going to get on the phone and he's going to call the next packer and say okay i offered 62 cents and he didn't take it so when the next guy comes he'll offer me 60 and so he says, I've learned the hard way. You don't try to mess with that. You just take whatever you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And it had been, that was in the 80s. And he says, it has been like this for at least 40 years. And he said, that it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that was ingrained in me as a, as a kid. You know, you don't have any control in the system. You're going to get what you're going to get. And that price did not change for my entire life until about five years ago and the price started to rise on our side but in 1972 my grandfather realized that that was the system and so he wanted to diversify so he planted wine grapes yeah so you know to try to you know when you're trying to work with the same amount of money that you're getting for your cattle uh as you did 50 years ago when everything else is inflated uh, 
price of people, price of uh, supplies, things like that, you're not making money. Mm -hmm. And so um, the wine grapes were planted solely for the purpose of trying to be able to sustain the beef operation, which is, you know, the whole purpose is for us to steward the land. We're not we're not there to make money. I, if you ask a rancher if he's making money, nobody's going to say yes unless you're a part of the Packer system. And so, can you explain what the Packer system is yeah, really please. quick? Yeah, sorry. So, and I'm not I'm not the most well versed in the Packer system, but essentially, um, you know, going back historically, the everything started to consolidate with these main five Packers, and that happened, you know, in the 19. 19- 13 1917 kind of range and so as they started to consolidate uh, they would shut down the smaller local plants and then consolidate into this giant system and jensen feel free to bounce in here. who who are those do you know the names off the top of your head the the those, names of the the big the packers five. yeah jbs is one of the biggest ones they're they're all swift they're yeah i mean they're they're hand national i think was one mm-hmm. um but they've They've been, I don't know which have been eaten up by international firms now at this point. I'm not sure. The last time I checked, a couple of the, a Swift was bought out. Then um, JB, JBS? JBS. JBS was bought out by a Chinese firm. So the Brazilians came in and bought. And so Hmm. we're now down to essentially owned, our our uh, proteins are now owned essentially by Brazil and China. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously American raised cattle um but then they go into this system that we don't have control over and i think that that was one of the biggest impetuses for coming on and trying to explain to people why they need to be paying attention mm-hmm. so yeah and to to go back when i mean in any any industry when consolidation happens it's usually to con- control co- costs yeah you know this was happening back in you know the you know, like I said, the robber baron era, mm-hmm. you know, these guys, European settlers came, they took, took the land from the natives. They uh, ran off the, the bison. They had to figure out a way to monetize all the land that they had just taken. So they put cattle on them or cattle on that land. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I mean, that, that became a huge ag, a huge source of ag wealth. Um, but then they, you know, at first they had to, to rely on local local plants to, to process these animals. Mm-hmm. They realized that, you know, it's, it's a very competitive landscape. So they did what, you know, any industrialist at that time would do. They bought all the processors. Yeah. They consolidated them into a handful. They all knew each other. So they, and they were all doing this across every industry, you know, oil, yeah. um, you know, ag. I mean, just across the board, there are a handful of guys doing this. So they all, they all knew what they were doing. You know, they, they were working together to consolidate industry so that they can control costs in the middle so that they could gouge the growers mm-hmm. and then gouge the consumer. And they took the margins, yeah. you know? So this, I mean, this and that, system- that's, that's still the exact same system that's existing today. Right, that, and arguably was, worse because it's international now. Right. right. So, so, that, so that happens up until, um, you know, the Stockyard Act. Stockyard Act puts, um, actually based on um, the information that came out in Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of exposed the conditions of all the of these ma- major processing plants. Uh, people were horrified at mm-hmm. the you know the realities. Um, so government stepped in with regulations. Um, they you know they passed labor laws. They passed uh, health and safety laws. Um, so at first it was like kind of like antitrust era. You know yeah. the government finally said, okay, we need it. We need to figure this out. We can't have you know five guys controlling the price of food mm-hmm. to the nation. Um, so 
you know, at first government re regulation was a good thing because they created the market system, they created uh, the commodities pricing. So instead of, you know, guys like Daniel back in, what was it, 1921 was when the, the Packard and Stockyard Act was passed. Mm -hmm. Guys like Daniel, they didn't have to, they didn't have to just sell for whatever they were getting offered. They could sell at market for market price. And for a while that worked mm -hmm. until these companies started consolidating again. So, and the reason that that happened was basically, chime in here anytime, Daniel, mm -hmm. but basically, um, you know, during the Reagan years, you know, this, this idea of, um, you know, trickle down economics, um, bigger is cheaper. Deregulate. 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 Yep. De <clears throat> deregulate so that big business can, can get bigger mm -hmm. and make things cheaper, you know, and ideally, you know, the theory was that um, the bigger and cheaper these companies, or the bigger these companies get, the cheaper the product gets and the economies of scale will end up benefiting the consumer which is which is true in a sense i mean it, sometimes it, I know. it was at the cost of us but uh, yeah but exactly it didn't make anything better for the people at the source right. right so yeah you it's like even just now you you see how cheap prime a prime ribeye is mm -hmm. at a big chain i'm not going to say any names but like <laughs> so insanely cheap and if yeah. you know people like daniel and i know what it costs to get that product onto a shelf mm -hmm. it's mind-boggling that it can be that cheap I, I i went to a restaurant recently and i that pumps out burgers and i said let me do a local burger with you i can get beef straight to you and i said just tell me what the price is that you can get it at and he told me and i said i i can't even raise There's an no animal yeah. at that price like i straight off my ranch i can't give you that price no competition it doesn't it doesn't make any sense and so and and going back to the system is they're they're I don't I I don't even want to have that burger anymore because I know what that looks like I know what, what that it takes animal to get it there. looks like yep. when it gets into that system and what they're eating and the and the place that they're living in mm -hmm. and as a rancher that's really difficult for me to talk about because it's it's like this weird cloud that's sitting out there and if you if you poke at it it's gonna shit all over you mm -hmm. like that system is terrifying and ranchers don't speak out about it because it's truly been our only system that we can provide into and if somebody heard me saying this maybe i get cut off and then i'll have a place to sell right. my cattle so you're kind of on an iv with them uh, to with this totally system. yeah i yeah. think it's a good time to mention okay this this system i don't think like i don't think it's all bad like right we have we have to feed the nation okay mm -hmm. so during the baby boom like a ton of feet hit the ground. So, <laughs> I mean, there was a there was a moment in history that demanded scale, right? And and I think you know government responded to that in a way that made sure that every American household could have a roast uh, on their right. dinner table on Sunday. Right. So I think that was a good thing. Mm -hmm. They knew that like they knew that like population was expanding faster than you know whatever ranchers were were growing cattle or you know there, there was some version of the, the supply was not enough for the demand so mm -hmm. they took they essentially took cattle off of pasture put them in stockyards fed them so that you get a bigger animal yeah. quicker and then you're just supplying this this stockyard program as opposed to waiting for you know the end of grass season when you can harvest your you know 18 to 120 animals just from your piece of property mm -hmm. so that system was built to just to keep this funnel of meat going into going into all these channels and these channels these big packers were built 
to, to process those animals as quickly as possible to get them to the market or get them to grocery stores as quickly as possible mm. so that people could have cheap meat. That know? system so that system has so many parallels too. I think about the rise of like plastics, mm-hmm. um, the rise of convenience food, mm-hmm. the rise of the automobile industry. There's so yeah. many different channels that went through, especially like you said, the boomer generation when those mm-hmm. kids were born we it was a heady time we just won you know a world war mm-hmm. um and supply chains became i'm part of me is just educated guess here but supply chains it was the beginning of internationalizing a lot of things Absolutely. air travel made it the world smaller and closer um but convenience, also women in the workplace, there's so many different things that feed into yeah. the the components that, you right. know, all the different dials that got tweaked. Right. So it was a solution. Well, yeah. every, you know, Everything's like, built on efficiency, right? I mean, right. The, the more efficient, the better, and all the systems that you're talking about, the ultimate goal is efficiency, which is reduction of price. Right. 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 And yet, there are so many other countries for whom price isn't the number one driver of how they eat, of how they shop. So interesting point there. We're a fairly new country, right? Yeah. Experimental. Think about, think, think about yeah. Think about the, you know, this the worldwide social landscape. We're we're the babies. Mm-hmm. So I think we're still trying to figure stuff out. Honestly, yeah. It goes, you know, like that's why I always come back to education. Like at some at some point, there has to be this, you know, this aha moment and go, okay, that might have worked for a little bit, but it's not working now, and we're headed someplace super sketchy. Mm-hmm. So we better figure out something better quickly. And I, and I sh- better isn't even the right word. How about just diversify in a way that, that relieves pressure, mm-hmm. you know? Pressure for whom? Pressure from, I mean, obviously people like Daniel. Mm-hmm. So give, give people, give growers more options. So that he just said, you know, for 50 years, they were used to breaking even. Mm-hmm. That's we're still, horrendous. We're still breaking even. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, or I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who don't break even. That they're spending yeah. money just keeping their lifestyle intact because they can't stomach the idea of, of letting it go. Well, I, I think like, what's important is that while there's a lifestyle component for us, it's it's also you know we we're not trying to preserve the eighteen thousand acres for us. You know, I people outside of this area probably don't know this, and a lot of people inside the area don't know this is that we're so when the wildflowers bloom every year that's on our property mm-hmm. and when you go to our property during the pandemic it was really interesting we usually have pretty busy seasons during april of people coming out and wandering around on the private property and during the pandemic there must have been fifteen thousand people in the oh course of a month gosh. and a half so there were big trails all over the place and people were using the same trails to go the different things but they're walking on our property which is but that the point of all of that is that we're not doing it just for us. We're, mm-hmm. you know, we provide habitat for animals and mm-hmm. plants that don't exist other other mm-hmm. places. Open we, space. Open space, yeah. and you know that's such a general term, but that's exactly what it is: is people getting outside. And during the pandemic, that was people were thriving on that. Right. So it's they not a lifestyle; it's a legacy house. that you're it's preserving. Legacy. It's and, a legacy, and, and, your, yeah. and I keep saying I'm a steward of that legacy. Right. I'm a fifth generation, and my right. grandfather and my father and everybody else before me mm-hmm. taught me that this isn't for us. This is, and and that is pervasive throughout our industry. Is people are not doing it for themselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're we're out there providing food for people and all of these other things, and and you know we talk about the drought and things like that, and. You know, mm-hmm. we live and die on the weather, and 
we feel it. So when it doesn't rain, like it didn't, you know, 70 days of no rain in, in our rainiest pe- part of the season, like we feel that the most. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're uh, ranchers are the original environmentalists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're so tied into the environment and, the, and it's in our blood to, to make sure that that land is, is well taken care of. Mm-hmm. And we need to be a big part of the conversation and all of these things, the food supply chain and, and, climate change and all these things mm-hmm. and I, I feel like we're just being villainized and so mm. I, I think getting back to your point Jensen is that um, you know the the systems we need to be able to survive not not be breaking even every year uh, right. we need to be able to have you know be able to pay our people build the infrastructure keep the water supplies clean things like that so yeah um, my friend and I think yours probably too, James Onaveros down at um, Ranchos Onaveros. He, when his family bought their property, it was um, the minerals had been stripped, mineral rights uh, for oil, multiple, I think, multiple rigs on his property. It was like a barren wasteland. Mm-hmm. And that's how they were able to afford it. it there was nothing mm-hmm. left there. Right. And he talks about how he, uh, as an as a cattle rancher who diversified into grapes like your family did, he often talks about how he is one of the most effective environmentalists because mm-hmm. he brought health and life back to that land right. as not just letting it go. I mean, you could easily just leave it as open space, let nature take its you know course there. No, it's, it's just better with cattle. It's better than letting it be. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's an important, a really important key that I think that a lot of people don't understand is that. Yeah, tell me. I mean, peop, if uh, there's this huge push to stop eating beef because it's bad for the environment, mm-hmm. and that's just not true. I mean, it, we have 18,000 acres of open space. If we took cattle off of that, it would be in a worse shape. It it degrades when you remove cattle because ruminants were originally there. The system is, nature is reliant upon ruminants to graze it down. And, and they sequester to, carbon. Sequester carbon by, if if they're not there eating the grass, it will oxidize and then it kills the soil. Okay, so let's pause for just a second. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but I told you I was going to ask some dumb questions. So, so there were ruminants on the land before, mm-hmm. before sure. humans came, mm-hmm. uh, you know, while indigenous people were here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the land needs them. It's not like you came in with something that changed the chemistry of the ground to where now, if you left, it would be screwed. So, right, exactly. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, I think the, the way the geography of this country is... Um, Think about how all the water comes down from the mountains. Mm-hmm. Where does it go? To the valleys and streams. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you end up with these these fertile grounds, that, you know, these oasises throughout our country that um, are surrounded by you know by pl- the plains. Yeah. You know, big rivers going through the plains. Okay. So then all that water ends up you know emptying into the sea at some point or mm-hmm. into you know underground reservoirs and things like that. It that's what you know the water is what allows plants to grow it allows animals to to come down from you know the the hills Mm -hmm. from the alpine areas and you know like you don't see much life in alpine areas that's because all of the nutrients are going down into the plains Mm -hmm. okay so the ruminants uh, you know 
elk, elk, bison, bison yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, de- you know, deer, all the four-legged, you know, grass eaters. They're in the plains, you know. They're, I mean, obviously there's some like sheep up in the up in the hills or whatever, but mm-hmm. I mean they're still a ruminant. So they are transferring nutrients throughout the plains. They are eating seeds from grass, you know, walking along, releasing those seeds in the form of mm-hmm. fertilizer, and fer- while fertilizing that plot, that piece that they just crapped on. Mm-hmm. So it's like seed with fertilizer in in soil. So what Daniel is saying, if that wasn't, if you pull ruminants out of the equation, that no longer happens. So the plains, water keeps running into the sea. The yeah. the plains eventually, you know, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how that scales because I'm not a you know scientist, but if there's nothing fertilizing, if there's nothing nothing passing along nutrients, we don't really have we don't have free roaming bison anymore. So mm-hmm. they're kind of out of the equation. Mm-hmm. You know, if we did, I mean. I would assume that if we, for some reason tomorrow, all the cattle in this country went away, if we didn't inter- reintroduce something like bison, we'd be screwed. Well, sure. Okay. So, so yes, for sure. They were here. This, the, the land is meant to be cyclical with them, right. with ruminants. They're a part of it, right. But with population explosion, uh-huh. um, people seeing it as like a, you know, a right to eat meat mm-hmm. and eat it often. Again, we're talking back at... Um, Baby boomer. You Why know. should it be a right to eat it often? No, no, I'm not saying that oh. it should be. Oh, th- you're saying, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that there was and remains, I think, this expectation. Expect- yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not judging that one way or the other. But there is now this stockyard and packing operation that is so heavily concentrated. Mm-hmm. You have stockyards with, I mean, God, drive by Harris Ranch, and it's like, oh my God. It's super. By rough. the way, people within the industry hate that. Yeah, I mean, tell it's, me it's about like that. It's like the worst marketing thing you could imagine. I mean, cattlemen drive past that and they go, "Why is that there? Yeah. Just shove it away from things." Not that I mean, it's a part of the system that still, we like we're talking about, needs to be reformed in some way. Mm-hmm. But I've, it's you just know, in your face every it's time. In you your face, it's like you cannot get out of there <laughs> fast yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. and and that to me, the, this is important to me. That is not. Uh, that is not the correct system and it's not good for cattle and i hated watch uh, my whole family hated watching our cattle leave after being on our property for their entire lives Mm -hmm. and go off and we knew where they were going Mm -hmm. for the end of their life and being like god that sucks and we've switched in the last four years and i'm thankful for the organic system because we we are now 100 percent organic Hmm. and the cattle when they leave our property they do not go into that system anymore they uh, 100% of our animals go into an organic system that um, the very next day they're harvested so mm-hmm. they they live their entire life on our property open space and you know so Daniel just brought up an important point well, and, I, and I sorry no just I wanted to make sure that I'm clear about what I was saying is just sorry. no it's okay um Climate change, I'm guessing so much of why people say eat less beef is because of stockyards and the craziness of the concentrated. So, so, and that's not what you're doing. And that's not what. That's what I was just going to say. Okay. So there's a big difference between what you get at the grocery store. So what's in the commodity system and what Daniel has. Daniel raises grass fed beef, 100% Mm -hmm. grass fed beef. That means cattle are on his property when there's grass, they eat grass, the ruminants. He harvests them when they get to, you know, the en- essentially the end of grass season because mm-hmm. there's no more feed. So then you harvest them all. So it's 
it's the perfect animal raised in the perfect way, eating what it's meant to eat. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's grass-fed beef. So that's think of that as a, as an entirely different product than you get from the grocery store because it's an entirely different animal. Mm-hmm. Now, what he's saying he used to have to do, he would take that grass-fed animal when it's what's called market weight. You would take it to market. These guys would come from the packers. They'd they'd uh, bid on your your animal, like you know, usually a handful of them at a time. Mm-hmm. They would say, okay, we'll give you X, X dollar per pound for the live weight of this animal. Then they take them. They take that market weight animal and they put them in a stockyard. Just real quick, market weight uh, for, for on this side of things is like 800, six to 800 pounds depending right. on the animal. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into the system. Then it goes, in the, into the, it goes to the stockyard. Then they just feed it essentially whatever they can to put as much weight on it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. This is anything from, I mean, we all, we've all heard of the grain in corn, but it's like, I mean... There are stockyards that feed them trash, candy with wrappers on them, uh, rice, uh, beans, any any type of any type of thing that is like garbage. Basically garbage. Yeah, I don't I don't know specifically what they're feeding them out on, on I five, so I'm not yeah, going to yeah, yeah, speak yeah. for that. But it's basically just a way to add weight to the animal really quickly in the form of fat. So it's not. I mean, people need fat, but yeah. you don't need fifty percent of your protein intake from a piece of steak to be fat that's Mm -hmm. not good Mm -hmm. um so they're just adding weight so that they can take that margin so they they, you know when they kill that animal it weighs what almost a thousand pounds more yeah one thousand pounds more and they put them on put they put that on in a few months wait in addition to the six to eight hundred that you sold them at yeah they sell them at market weight yeah then they take them from market to a feedlot and then they just feed them as much as possible and get them up to 1500 yeah 12 to 15 yeah somewhere in there wow and and what and think about like what they're adding on the animal isn't eating what it's meant to eat anymore and and some people do this some people do this well some ranchers actually feed out their cattle i think in a way that that makes sense you mean at the end of the system yeah Mm -hmm. yeah we're talking about the commodity system and how it works um this is a you know a mega feed operation there are other you know local um and like you know small scale feeding um feeding well, operations sure that work that, that work well. a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. So, but at that scale, they're just, they're just packing on pounds so that they can take the margins. That's mm-hmm. all it is. Mm-hmm. And then they turn around and sell it to you at the grocery store for next to nothing because half that, half that piece of meat is fat. You know, and we have this while you're breaking even. Yes. It, on, on good years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the consumer is on average getting a less healthy piece of meat because they're just eating more like bad fat, not good fat, yeah. bad fat. You know, and it's not. And I mean, I'm a chef, so I like things that taste good. Yeah. So I, I think a piece of Wagyu is delicious. Yeah. But I don't go to the store and buy, you know, fatty cuts of meat all the time. I think, you know, that's not a good way to eat, if, especially yeah. if you like eating meat. I eat, I eat meat often. Mm-hmm. I just choose to eat better meat, mm-hmm. the right type of meat. I know what the, the animals have eaten. Therefore, I know the type of types of nutrients that I'm getting out of that, you know, well, that cut. And I want to I want to break that piece into another piece is that you know we're we're all fortunate we we live in an mm-hmm. upper middle class area where mm-hmm. we can afford to have those things and and I think that you know what Jensen and I have been talking about is that we've we're just getting into this new system I mean we've been, Jensen's been doing an amazing job of creating this company that is is pulling together local sourced items for people and and we just started doing it ourselves just locally and then kind of expanding but but the concept is that you know we would like to be able to, we we have to start with the upper middle class people cuz the system is not big enough between us 
to be able to uh, produce it at scale to be able to bring the price down to where everybody can afford it. But I think, you know, what we've been talking about is that we can get it to a point where uh, we're, we're, neither of us are looking to get rich. We're trying to change the system. Mm-hmm. And, and if we can get to the point where we have a scale that we can reach everyone, mm-hmm. um, that to me would be amazing. Um, you know, and we're talking about, you know, how do we do that? Um, mm-hmm. And this is you know, having conversations like this and educating people so that we can grow our system at the top and then start bringing it down so that everybody can participate is is huge for us. I mean, that, there's a reason why you have, you know, ground beef that goes to McDonald's that's a dollar fifty a pound or whatever they get it for. Mm-hmm. And I, there's no way that's not coming for me because I can't produce a qual. I can't produce any beef, bad or good, for that price. So, yeah. there, there's a reason there's a system, and mm-hmm. and it's it's been created to feed a lot of people. And you know, beef consumption has r- risen dramatically over the last century because mm-hmm. of that system. Mm-hmm. But it, it has degraded the quality significantly, and so people are eating whatever. There's so much like this. I I was telling my daughter recently. That's uh, how profit-driven business works. It is. It is. And I get that. And I think I'm a fan of capitalism. I don't know. I don't know anymore. I'm just trying. (laughs) It's a a great system. I'm trying so hard. to, But there's so much that comes with it. It's dog eat dog. And I like dogs. And I don't want. You know what I mean? It's so tough. There are so many people who, I'm thinking of your family, Daniel, who come in and they're given a system that is broken and expected to fix it and thrive. Mm. Capitalism talks a good game about leveling the playing field. It's how it's leveraged. Okay, so this is why we're doing this right now. This is why we need to start with education. Give people the information that they need to know to make the right choice, okay? If you know how we got here, to where we you can get a burger for a dollar twenty five, okay. I'm not even gonna get into the nu- nutrition conversation, <laughs> right? No. Okay, but let's just assume just the okay. economics for now. Yeah, the economics. Okay, so what it takes to get it to your plate for that price. Okay, now we've explored that. You know, consolidation, yada yada. Okay. Now it's like, okay, now that you know that, what are you gonna do with it? You know what? What? And and to me, this always comes back to the idea of buying local. What? Uh, the and the the question. I always try to answer is, well, why? Why should I? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's often more expensive. It's often a little more difficult to, to you know, to find, mm-hmm. you know, in, in all the areas that you want. So it's like, what, what specific things would compel the consumer to do something that might be a little bit more expensive and might be a little bit harder? And, you know, so it takes convenience out of the equation. It takes, um, you know, some... <laughs> not favorable financial metrics you got to justify um the the convenience piece is really interesting to me because we haven't talked about that but we have become such an amazon convenience i'm totally getting there yes yes so so the system that we have created albeit you know it's able to feed the nation has it's a vice that we are all subject to Mm -hmm. and we're all like I don't want to say benefiting from, but we're all like all guilty of. We're all guilty of, yeah. Of oh, we do benefit, lever- like using that vice so, in in a very short term, right. very myopic kind of way. But yeah. if it wasn't for capitalism, that wouldn't have we wouldn't have been able to create a system that actually fed the country at an affordable price. Okay, so and and I think somewhere back in the day, somebody said, okay, this is going to be helpful. 
I don't think this was like some evil guy that was like, if we do every, I mean, we talked about some guys that might've been evil yeah. that were definitely profit driven, you know, <laughs> definitely like, you know, yeah. ultra capitalist, not concerned with the end and consumer. But I think like the, the concept of capitalism does allow for, you know, a free exchange of, of products and ideas and all it, like mm -hmm. uh, it allows what we're talking about right now or what we're about to talk about these better systems mm -hmm. to also evolve in the capitalist system, which I think is ultimately a good thing, but you have to like, like I said, leverage the right version of it. And I think there's a portion of that right version that is a small amount of altruism. Daniel has, Daniel and people like him have been, they've been the only ones being altru altruistic at this point. Mm -hmm. They've given everything to make sure that people like us can eat. Mm -hmm. So, but I think that's a, a key metric because it can't just be about profit. Otherwise we end up where we are right now. Okay. Yeah. When I started Larder, I wasn't even thinking about making money at first. You know, I, I obviously it's a business, so we had to at some point try to figure out how how we're gonna we're gonna feed ourselves, right? Like anybody, but I just saw okay, there's there's a system outside of our local system that people are used to. Fine, I know the reasons why that's not good. How what can I do to give them an an, an alternate option? Mm -hmm. And I knew that larder, you know, was the way to do it. So I didn't really care what it cost to to do it at first. I I did not until just recently when. Um, you know, processing prices got, you know, kind of like pricing across the board started rising. I only recently had to negotiate with a rancher for the first time. Hmm. I don't hmm. like, I didn't care. It was like, hmm. you know, tell me what you need to pay or what you need to get paid. I will, I will charge my customer accordingly. Hmm. And the ones who are okay with that will be my customers. The ones who aren't, there are options for them as well. So I think that there, we, we now live in an information age. We have the ability to sit down like this, to educate a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, so people know that they have options. Then it's about, okay, well, why should I? We went over that. Mm -hmm. It might be more expensive, might be a little bit tougher. I'm hoping that companies like mine make yeah. that a little easier, yeah. you know, so. Well, uh, let's go back to the why. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know that we were super clear about the why. I mean, mm -hmm. the why for, for me mm -hmm. uh, as a rancher is, I want to continue to provide open space and habitat mm -hmm. and all these things that we've been doing for 140 years. I want to be able to keep doing that and be able to pay my employees appropriately and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. But for the why for the consumer is, yes, I'd, I'd like to support that system. Um, I'd like to support my local open space. I'd mm -hmm. like to continue to go see the wildflowers. <laughs> and It's uh, a great selling point, by the way, yeah, for right, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. The wildflowers. And so... You know, but the other piece is that it's better for you from a health standpoint, and and I think that the pandemic really stepped the gas on mm -hmm. on taking away the convenience part, rethinking where you're getting your food, who you're supporting, and and we we did touch upon this, but the but where do you want your food coming from? I mean, that's really important. I mean, maybe the most important thing that we're gonna right. face right. in in the next fifty years is. Do you want your food being controlled by an outside country that is in opposition to everything you believe? Mm -hmm. I don't want China controlling my food. I don't want and, any country. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah, this should just be who, controlled but, by us. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But mm -hmm. I'd be okay with Canada. Yeah, they're, they're probably, probably they're probably cool. okay. Yeah, they're, okay. <laughs> they're cool. <laughs> but, but yeah, but I, I I mean that's really important, and I you know I think a lot of people think that's like a tin tin foil hat. No, we just saw it. We just saw this happen. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like. Yeah, Daniel and I talked about this. I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, I think great. that I think that is a critical point here. Once you get past the health, once you get past the why I should support local for ethical reasons, all of that. It, I mean, at some point, it does come to come down to like your food supply. Mm -hmm. So, and and like 
I yes. don't, I, I'm not a fear monger. I'm not trying to like scare people into being a customer or whatever, but it is a critical point. It is a critical factor. And we, we all just saw it with the pandemic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Grocery stores were empty. People go online. I could not, I could not ship enough local product. Everything I brought in, I mean, I was, I was working with ranchers that I had never talked to new ones just, I mean, because they couldn't sell anymore. They, they couldn't, they couldn't yeah. go to the processing plants. They were, they were consumed. Uh, they couldn't go to the grocery or they couldn't get product to the grocery store. So the other option was just kill all your livestock. Mm-hmm. So they were coming to me like, what can you do? I'm like, I can ship anything you can get. Well, I mean, what a beautiful, so, fun. beautiful catalyst, you know? Totally. Like, yeah. And it's crazy that it. it took, it took the pandemic <laughs> for, for me to see that this system is better. Yeah. That's yeah. what kills me. I mean, not kills me. I, I'm, I'm very pleased. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I used to have to try to explain what we do in a way that was like, I mean, it's so difficult because I saw it. I saw the benefit, you know, but but it was really hard trying to make this this argument for like local online meat. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was a weird concept. But then overnight, people got it. People got yeah. it. overnight. People were like, oh, shit, I can get local meat shipped to my house right now when there's none at the store. Yeah. Not only is there not local meat at the store, there's no meat at the store. Yeah. You know, and a big piece of that was what Daniel was talking about. The ports were shut off. Mm-hmm. There were no trucks. There were n- no boats were being unloaded from Brazil and China and It's and like Argentina. too big to fail. It's just so, mm. it's, you know, you go to an airport and you watch the planes and pe- it is held together by a thread. <laughs> so tiny. Yeah, this, there is no gray area. It's pretty black and white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just saw that. We just saw that happen. And to me, that that rattled me to my bones. Mm-hmm. It it made me believe even more in what we do and it made me plug in even more to our local network and and now i'm like okay how do we convince people that that that's a reality now so when i say you know or when i see people kind of just going back to the the way that they they used to purchase products um and i and again i understand that i understand the convenience and the you know the finding cheap food factor i get it but when you're in an area like where we are and the resources are plentiful and there are you know, ranch like cattle all around us, yeah. but it's not staying here, yeah. right? Well, you like, you talked about it on one of your previous. Yes, David Cleveland talked about how when La Conchita the mudslides, uh, you know, even though um, Santa Maria is like you know the the vegetable basket mm-hmm. of I mean much of the U.S. really, but certainly of California, uh, when the mudslides cut off the 101 and P- and trucks weren't able to get through, mm-hmm. the shelves in Santa Maria were empty. No vegetables. So the Santa Barbara syndrome <laughs> was coined, and yeah. it is 99% of everything Santa Maria and Santa Barbara County grows goes elsewhere. Well, that, and that's what we're talking about. That's why, what's one of the biggest reasons why we're here today is that is that's... That should never happen, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your your local system should always exist. Right. These grand, grander, larger scale systems need to exist to feed the masses. But it's your backup. Your 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 main local system should be your start, and the mm-hmm. big system should be, hey, well, we got to take a road trip, and there's some hamburgers along the yeah. way, or whatever yep. it is. Or, I worry that because people have had a taste of cheap, convenient food, that they won't. That's why. That's why we bring this up, though. What, yeah. was, sure. It's, what was the end of that? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that they won't what? I love how excited. How, like you. Know, you I'm definitely sorry. have no. No, you've wanted to say something. I get it. Yeah. Um, it's all pent up over here. It's yeah. all pent up. Um, that if people have had a taste of something cheap and easy, mm-hmm. that they want that they're that these reasons you're saying that the consumer should want a local 
product is not enough mm-hmm. to outweigh the, will you indulge me for a second on something? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was talking to my daughter a lot about clothing. I am so guilty. I think most of what I'm wearing was made in China um, because it was inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It came in a box to my door within three days. Um, and I was telling her, you know, when I was a kid, first of all, you had to have a catalog to get clothes, mm-hmm. you know, and you would look, flip through the Sears catalog or whatever. Um, but also, we didn't have Target. We didn't, and right. if we did, it just wasn't quite the same Target that we have now. We didn't have Old Navy. Um, so think about the conditions. It has to come out of somebody's ass, right? Mm-hmm. And so think about the conditions of people who are making these clothes. They're children like you, like, you know, at least 37% of the time. It's kids your age who are doing it instead of going to school. Mm-hmm. Um, it's coming from somewhere you are perhaps gaining, we call it disposable clothes. Like maybe you're getting a shirt that you wanted and it was on sale for five bucks, no joke, right? Um, But where are you paying? Somebody's paying for this. What is the other, what is the cost? Somebody's paying. And so I tried to connect it to her age. Like think of another nine-year-old girl out Mm -hmm. there, someone who's doing Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I think that that connected and yet here I am like wearing this I think um, so much as as humans evolve. Well, what, what are the other options? Yeah, textiles. That's a really hard one. Well, and, and it is, but great, I feel that it's comparable in many ways. Sure except is. you're not putting it inside yeah, your body. But you know, a big reason right. that it's not though, we don't have mills here anymore. Yeah. You know, like we just with that. Okay, that is an example. I'm, I'm wearing Patagonia. I know, that, I know. I right. actually looked at your jacket and thought, but, look at that. But that is a good example of what happens when the when the when, when an entire industry leaves the country. So just the difficulty that you're having right there, because you know what the, the better solution would be, you can go to a friend that makes clothes and she has a, no, she or he has a viable so- solution I know for how a to company. Sew. It's more expensive to make your mm. own clothes. Sure, right, that's what I'm saying. It's, 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 very, it's a very difficult one to justify. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, if I wanted to make a t-shirt from scratch, it'd cost me $100. Exactly. Or I could go to, or I could go to Target, and not to mention like hours doing it, and like, yeah. or I could go to Target and buy one for $5. Right. Okay, that's not the case with meat, yet. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm afraid of. Wait, yeah. how is it not the case? Say because, that. Okay, because we have, I can I can point from my warehouse and see see beef, see beef cattle. Oh, because okay. it's possible here, whereas textiles, it's not possible to make them. Both here. of us are doing it right, right now. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. I eat only local. Well, that's not true. I do I do pick up hamburgers on the road, like Daniel just said. But like the vast majority of my meat and vegetables come from this county. Mm-hmm. You can't say that about clothing. Yeah. So no. we so that is no. an industry that has already. It has already shifted, and it's out of control. And I don't. And that's not. We can't affect that yet. No, well, no, I, I, no. I know. And I, I'm and just I trying think, to make some like comparison. Yeah, well, no, the comparison. I, I think is Patagonia. Right. I mean, I'd led, I They are. They were built upon that. I, kind of the con- same concept is like you know we we want to do better, right? Yeah. We yes. want. And I, this is I think a great example. I tore my Patagonia puffy jacket on a barbed wire fence the other day. It ripped the panel. I and the I almost thing. wore I did the mine. Same thing with this. I, <laughs> Well, I sent it Hilarious. to Patagonia, yeah, and they fixed it yeah. for free, of yeah. course. Yeah, and but that's but that is a system that is designed for an upper middle class group mm-hmm. yes. that can afford something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it starts there, mm-hmm. and then other companies go, well, they're actually doing, they're doing it, it, so can yeah. we do that and then scale it? Origin in Maine where... is another one. Mm. Origin, oh, Origin okay. Maine. 
Yeah. yeah I, think, I think they started with jiu-jitsu geese. Mm-hmm. And now they, they do jeans and boots. And I mean, the guys, yeah. the same concept, guys, like, we're just going to buy the machines to do it. And they're all old machines that, yeah. that like, were in storage because they were, they were from shutdown, mm-hmm. com- uh, shutdown warehouses. Yeah. They're like, we're just going to do it. And we'll hire the people to do it. So you create mm-hmm. jobs. You, and, and if enough companies do that, then again, now there's competition again. Well, and we have and huge purchasing power. Huge purchasing exactly. power. And, and, and I right. think that the system was the system. And we're talking about it in general terms of clothing or textiles mm-hmm. or, or animals, whatever it is, food systems. It all became factories, right? Everything was right. ramped up, make it cheaper, bigger, faster, everything. And I think we had started in the last decade or so to start shifting back into mm-hmm. that system. Patagonia saw an explosion, yeah. localized meat and and produce and things like that has started to see that system. And then, I mean, there were a lot of bad things that happened throughout the pand- pandemic, but one of the best things that came out of it was people resetting at a faster pace. Yep. I, both of yeah, us they're forced into it. could yeah. not keep up with it, right? right. Yeah. Uh, and Which is great, and they were forced into it. And again, it's the people who lead in that are the upper middle class because they can afford to do that mm-hmm. and that's the only way we can provide the system at the moment mm-hmm. but we're talking about scaling to a point where hopefully we can expand outside of that upper upper yeah. class there well, and interesting point on that too like even with lower uh, lower income families getting access when that happened we had so much product that we were able to donate yeah. That's so, so it was like, yes, that's there is enough, there is enough said. product here. Yeah. It's just like, sure. The demand isn't, isn't there yet in the lower income levels, but we like this system, this local system is able to supply mm-hmm. at least this local area. And if there is enough of demand, then we can, we can do it, you know? Like, and, and not to get too much into the weeds because I don't know if people care about this, but you know, there are, you know, these, these, harvest facilities are huge and they do not exist in our area anymore right so the scale that they're producing is 40 to 400 animals a day whereas the local system they can do four to six and oh, wow. i was at a plant that did ten thousand chickens a day Jeez. Oh, yeah ten thousand <laughs> so 100 percent eaten those chickens you think they too. Can, do you we think are, that they control yeah. much if, if they're if they're processing ten thousand of anything in a day Think about the amount of resource that one plant controls. So it, what I was going to say earlier, and I don't know that this, I, I haven't, this isn't fully baked, but um, I think as humans evolve, and I mean in the grandest sense of like, you know, now many people don't eat margarine because we know better about, right. Okay. So that's what I mean by evolution. Mm. As we evolve in our understanding of foods and of everything, clothes, travel, got everything mm-hmm. education um i think that the human brain of course is very primal it wants the hit of seeing a box on the doorstep it wants the hit of an email you know coming up on the phone mm-hmm. um and and sex and food and all of the things that hit the pleasure centers i think as we evolve we are starting to understand more how um, trapped we are mm-hmm. with those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I might just offer up that one of the reasons a consumer should care about this is it's the next step getting away from a system that's got you wrapped, mm. just yeah. totally wrapped up. 
um, not to make enemies out of these folks, but like think about what's good for you. People are in, and it is upper middle class and higher, are starting to evolve with like how much water we drink. Yep how we carry our water with us. Um, how, God, mindfulness meditation is just huge. Um, people are starting to see how they can become well mm-hmm. in a way that in, with small steps. Mm-hmm. And God, I mean, I, everything for me is in small steps, but seeing it as a community effort, especially where we live, you're right. There are a lot of places that do not have cattle on the hills. I've had friends mm-hmm. come out from New York who are like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and when they see somebody with boots and a hat, it's just like, oh my God, they can't believe that cowboys are a real thing, you know? But if we see it from a standpoint of an evolution, not I don't like the idea of going backward to a time when everything was rosy and wonderful. Yeah, no. I like to think of going forward mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. using my, I tell Lulu, my daughter, it's your superpower brain, mm-hmm. like think. Mm-hmm. Think, don't just go for the hit, mm-hmm. think about it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're gonna fail a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're bringing to the table is something that could be, that could be applied here. Yeah. Absolutely. No, this is the best place to start it, right? We're yeah. in the center of everything. I mean, we're the center of, of growing food, uh, both animals and produce. And, and this is the best place to start it. And then we can prove that it, it works, you know, localized and then figure out how to kind of grow it and again I, like you said we don't need to to take down the big system that's got it's got to be there because there's too many people mm-hmm. and so but if we can get it to be the secondary system mm-hmm. for this community and then work on or, other communities or maybe we can produce enough food like with a newer system that can then out then you know export to countries that need it i mean we have a vast amount of open open plains in this country more than any i mean name one other country that has that amount of like you know livable land yeah you know i mean the yeah. amount of we lost what was it a half a million cattle ranches in the last 40 years yeah so we have we have the resources to to like i don't want to go so far as to say not need the system that we have right now i think that that's dangerous and i think that that you know goes back to like you know having a safety net i think that's really important but um, if I don't think it's impossible to say, especially not in our area, that we have plenty of resources here that people can be comfortable, yeah. very comfortable with the idea that if, you know, if God forbid something else like another black swan event, like a pandemic happens, mm-hmm. their food supply is not going to get cut off yeah. because they're already in this system, you know? I mean, and we're seeing with Russia and Ukraine also, though, the fact that the U.S. is finally like, no. We're not going to take oil from you anymore while this is going on. Well, Americans are afraid at the gas pump, and yet they haven't stopped driving. Mm -hmm. They're not going to stop driving. They might think more about, you know, spending a hundred bucks at the gas pump. But I like that it's another, it's an outside event that's forcing us to look at dependence on foreign oil. It changes the conversation for sure. Well, just to touch on that for a second is, you know, all of these systems are built on cheap labor, right? And uh, here and away, right? So the the $6, well, I saw $7 gas yesterday. Oh my God. That, yeah, that, <laughs> that's another Jensen conversation. Jensen almost had water shoot out his nose. Okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, people who are not uh, of means can't can't work with that. And, and fortunately, uh, you know, in some senses, 
prices for you know wage prices have have gone up steadily in California and the there's a benefit to that obviously now they can afford the seven dollar gas mm -hmm. but the problem with that is that it makes the food more expensive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what I mean by that is when we have to hire someone for the ranch for whatever instead of it being ten dollars an hour it's now fifteen our our costs have just gone up by fifty percent which means at some point it's going to trickle in one direction right yeah. we're different because we have no pricing power so but mcdonald's go in and try to buy a hamburger now and you can see the price difference mm -hmm. people they've eliminated people from the system right i this is obviously a huge tangent but the point is is that that system is going to get more expensive mm -hmm. while our system you is mostly going to stay the same mm -hmm. and so at some point we may actually catch an equilibrium Absolutely. that is in in the our smaller systems benefit mm -hmm. yep. so i don't know i'm not you know economics and tri trickle down stuff and things like that I, you know obviously i think that you land on one side or the other and i don't think we should get into that but no. but it has an effect and i think it will have an effect on our system and maybe from that sense it's going to be a good thing i mean i if i go to the grocery yeah, store uh grass-fed beef in the grocery store is like nine maybe ten dollars a, a pound at sometimes it's like six and a half for ground right now mm -hmm. so yeah. Yeah. yeah and and we can produce it for that yep. you can come to yep. me or jensen hmm. and yep. we can get you that same thing but way better and yep. it's local yeah for that same price and it's getting that margin Close. is getting closer and closer totally. every day and so when people call and say hey can i get just a bunch of ground beef and i tell them the price they go oh well yeah that yep great so listener that seems important to mention as mm -hmm. as transportation costs go up yeah you're gonna be paying the same if perhaps not less it's heading by in going that direction local. yeah yes. well and, yeah. and and wage wage things are a piece of it but but seven dollar gas when when it takes Whole Foods, you know, instead of $3.50 a gallon to get the food to you, and it's now 7 for them as well, mm -hmm. you're, that's going to trickle into their food prices. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, you know, commodity prices have skyrocketed mm -hmm. when Ukraine, the Ukraine crisis happened. And that should, that should be on everybody's mind is that when something like that happens, it's not happening just over there. It has its trickle-down effects, sure. and they're mm -hmm. fast. Yep. And so in a month or so, you're going to see all of the price of food go up, mm. everything, which doesn't change for us. My price has not changed. It's going to cost me a little bit more to get, you know, from the ranch to town with my beef. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's something I'm going to eat. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to change my prices because of that. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's cool. That's a cool thing to think about. Yep. Okay. So you wanted to talk about, I, I mean, obviously the consumer needs this I, I need it spelled out for me what are the steps to intervening yeah yeah I, I think I mean I'm all about creating at least a couple steps in the right direction starting with that I think we've we've touched on the fact that this conversation has already started mm -hmm. which is great Daniel just mentioned that you know prices of you know this type of product are getting close to what you can get in the store um, you have to look at apples to apples, though. Like, you're, you're actually not going to find yes. anything yes, like yes. what Daniel does in yeah. the store. It just does not exist. Uh, you, know, you might find something that looks like it's from a farm, but investigate the label and make sure that it actually is. Often it's not. Yeah. So these often these are still, you know, I'd say sub-commodity items being labeled as 
things like what Daniel or I um, supply. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's it's clearly going in that direction. Um, we actually we didn't even touch on. So is I don't, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but I think tech has a big oh, big piece ha- in this. Yeah, yeah. So my business only exists because I can ship online. Mm-hmm. So and that is a resource that we did not have. Yeah. Before. Yeah. That's massive. So you talk about labor savings savings and labor. Put put human brains doing human brain stuff and put machines doing machine stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, my um my uncle in law, my Grace's uncle, just bought an electric tractor. Mm-hmm. And he's his farm is entirely off the grid now. He's actually adding to the grid. It's like so solar with electric. Uh he used to have biodiesel. But anyway, point being tech is also mitigating some of these costs. And the more this conversation gets out, the more it affects more people, the more smart people, smart, I mean, human brains are going to start doing human brain things and finding solutions for these problems that we're talking about right now. I don't think if we move in the right direction, I don't think these problems are going to be as significant as they once were without tech. Well, I I think it's important that, that we all understand that we all kind of need to move quickly on this. And, Mm -hmm. and I, the urgency is in the sense that I'm 42 Mm -hmm. and I'm one of a very small amount of people who has come back to the ranch to be able to do this. And I've done it at my own personal financial uh, loss uh, to to be able to do that because I think it's the right thing to do. People aren't going to do that. You know, we're we're fortunate enough in in the sense that I can do that. But the average age of the farmer and the rancher is continuing to get older and older. And these Mm -hmm. people aren't coming back because it is not there's no money in it and that needs to change obviously otherwise we're going to get all of our food from china or wherever and so i think that the the point is is the faster we can do this the faster it allows my generation our generation and the next generation to say okay well well, great i can actually make a living at this and Mm -hmm. enjoy myself and be a part of the system that i believe in that's why that's the sense of urgency Yes. So I have three things that anybody who hears this can do mm-hmm. in under a week. Okay, <laughs> I love it. We've already we've already started the education process. Mm-hmm. Just by listening to this, you're more mm-hmm. informed than you used to be. This is like, this is all that I had to know to be able to to want to do this. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's a huge piece. You can go to so online, check out the Sustainable Dish. It's an amazing website. Yeah, mm-hmm. she does a deep dive on all of this stuff. Um, her name is Diana Rogers, who hosts that website. She also wrote a book called The Sacred Cow. Mm. It's amazing. It's ba- a documentary as well. And it's a do- yeah, and it's a documentary. Mm. You can just watch the documentary if you want. It's a lot of the same content. Um, the idea there is eat less, better meat, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. is huge. Um, another podcast um, that I think is awesome is it's called Beyond Labels, and it's with Joel Saladin and, and uh, Dr. Sina McCullough. Uh, it's just Joel Saladin. He's amazing. He's, yeah, insane. Yeah. Amazing. He's um, crazy. Started, started a movement. I don't mean <laughs> yeah. insane like that. I mean, like, he's insanely cool. Um, he is insane. Also a little eccentric. Mm-hmm. Um, but the content is, it's like, you, you need to hear what they're saying. Okay? It's, this is, it's all this. Um, the podcast that kind of ramped me up about this was, uh, it was the daily podcast from Jan- January 28th. And it's called, Who Do You Want Controlling Your Food? Mm-hmm. Um, it does a deep dive on everything we just talked about, including like, you know, international players, local ramifications, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So number one, And that, you by the way, that's like a 20 minute long thing. Yeah. It's yeah. not long. Yeah. yeah. And like, we just, we just went over a lot of it. Okay. Yeah. So the education component already happened. And I, I'd like to add in education as come talk to us. I, we're for mm-hmm. sure in San Luis Obispo County. Call yep. me, 
email me, whatever. We like to have these conversations because the more conversations we can have, the more effect we can have. Yep. And so, you know, I, I'm happy to have spend my day talking to people and educating them as to why they should be in a, be a part of this new system, yep. Yep. new old system. Second step, buy local. Start with meat and vegetables. Because it's, it's, it's easy. It's right? easy. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are two big things that you don't have to get at the grocery store pretty much anywhere in California. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, again, we're super fortunate, but you don't have to rely on the grocery store for those things. And if tomorrow the channels got shut off and you still have access to meat and vegetables, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you can either go to farmer's market, go to direct to people like Daniel or go online. And Jensen. I, yeah. And I mean, Larder, Larder <laughs> does a good job doing that. I would say though, if you do go online, it is, it is convenient but be very cautious of greenwashing. So to what say I, what, green what I mean by that is, is yeah, and I, and I saw it, I saw this a lot over the last year, year and a half, two years, whatever, however long that lasted. <laughs> uh, I feel like Seven there's a, a blackout yeah. year that, yeah. <laughs> but I saw a lot of online meat companies pop up just because the amount of, of um, business that went online. And it's really easy to make a website look like it's farm sourced. It's really use, easy to use terminology. We call them claims in the industry. You know, claims like grass fed, uh, claims like non-GMO, all this stuff. Like, there's going to be a lot of that thrown at you. Okay. I think the most important, the most critical thing to know, or it, to 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 see in a brand is complete transparency. Mm-hmm. That's why when we started, we're like, we're going to put the ranch name on the label. Mm-hmm. Every package has the sort, the origin. That way. I mean, worst case scenario, you can like look them up in the phone book and call the guy, yeah. call Daniel and be like, so how do you raise your animals? You know, by, you, by the way, source of origin is a really uh, key term within the industry. The industry does not want source of origin on the packaging. Then mm-hmm. there's a lot of people have been pushing for it so that when it says USA beef, it's actually from the United States. Not just States. processed here. Not just processed right? here. And, <clears throat> and they don't want that because it's going to come from China or Brazil. It's going to come in and then it's going to be here for the fattening part and then you're going to end up with your american beef is actually not american beef so to reiterate that label could say whatever green times farm product of usa that does not mean that meat came from the usa right it could come from any number of countries and they send primals here it's processed here primals are big giant yeah chunk big chunks yeah yeah okay so yeah, transparency mm-hmm. clutch, um, and, and, and a key indicator of transparency is, like I said, if it's not on the labels, just go to like um, the sourcing portion of their website and just make sure that they, that they list who they buy from and provide links. Mm-hmm. Because what that means to me is that that company is not exclusively about controlling their, their, their sourcing so that they can control the margins. I don't give a shit if somebody goes from my website to you know Rancho Llano or mm-hmm. to Winfield Farm. That's great, that means like, that means I have done my part, mm-hmm. right? Ultimately, channeled. Yeah. yeah, and and then and a lot of times I see that happen often, and they bounce back and, and, and forth. Like sometimes it's easier to go through me. Sometimes it's easier, you know, to get a, a whole shipment of one thing. So just make sure that you see that on their website. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they're they're protecting something. Yeah, you know, and it's not, and make sure it's not just like, you know, listing a name, yeah. you know, because a name that's easy to come up with, you know, make sure it's like, here's the farm, here's what we buy from them. And here's the link to their, to their site. Mm-hmm. And their, their site should be saying the same thing that the site that you're on is saying, mm-hmm. you know, so the right. claims should, should be the same. Up. There, there is a great website. I, I eat wild. Oh, yeah, eat wild. Okay. Eat wild is amazing. I actually had no idea I what it was. Um, and then I, I, I wasn't even really, I was harvesting beef for friends and family and people who had locally. And then this guy from Los Angeles called me and said, Hey, I want some beef. And I, I don't even know how you found me. 
And he said, well, I usually look on this website, eatwild.com. And then I went on there, and it's a great resource for finding things near you. So Yeah, it's nationwide, right? I think so, yeah. That's helpful. Yeah, yeah, eatwild is is fantastic. I forgot about that one. And um, what's the one locally that just popped up out of Cal Poly? Um, Harvestly. Harvestly. Yeah, I'm going to have them on. Harvestly.co, is that right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So uh, yes, actually, and that gets that gets to my next point. Like, piece. you can, if you if you start with meat and veg, get get used to that. Mm-hmm. You know, get that in your your daily cycle, then start breaking into other things. So like, yeah, Harvestly, you can get a ton of local products mm-hmm. shipped to your door. So you know, bread, cheese, coffee, wine, beer. It's good. I'd forgotten um, bulk about that. Grains. Hmm. Um, you know, it's and I think like the more you do it, um, like I mentioned before, I call it like inverting your supply chain. So instead of depending on groceries, like we talked about, invert that, start with the biggest, the biggest components of your, of your, you know, your pantry or your larder, and then source that locally. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just meat and veg at first, because I think you'll see the more you do it, the more you'll get plugged into what is available locally, like a lot of us saw during the pandemic, and it totally works. Yeah. Oh, it's man. 100% viable. Well, and when you start digging into it, if you are at all a foodie, which I think a lot of us are just inherently, but uh, but the things that you can get here locally are amazing. I mean, the yeah. bread yeah. bread bike is an amazing piece of things. <laughs> you go to Eto in, in Tin City and mm-hmm. the local pasta that's made yeah. there with local products. And if you go to Eto, and it's amazing is because it's so much better. Quality yeah. is insane. Yeah. Olive oil, all these things, mushrooms from Mighty Cap Mushrooms, mm-hmm. uh, honey from Crescent Bee Company. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And there's once you start digging into it, it's amazing how many cool local products yep. there are. That yes, they are more expensive because it's just it's harder for us to you know the jar costs so much more for the local honey guy <laughs> right. than it does for the Chinese made honey that you're yeah. getting at this store. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, pay up for a little while until we can get the systems built that mm-hmm. then you can work your way down. And maybe buy bulk as well. Bulk for exactly. your own. Well, and actually, for your own just, to, bottom just line. to kind of finish out a little bit of this is that, you know, the practical steps is, you know, educate yourself first, buy local, and then and then work on actionable things with like moving through the system into breads and cheeses and mm-hmm. mushrooms and things like that. And, but, just from our perspective, uh, you know, if you buy 10 pounds at a time, I can get it to you for $13 a pound. Mm-hmm. At 25 pounds, I can get it to you at 12. Mm-hmm. And if you go and buy a deep freezer, I can get you a quarter half whole animal that you can share with friends or, or have it to yourself yep. for the whole, it'll feed you for the whole year. Mm-hmm. And that's $11 a pound. So it, mm-hmm. it works its way down the more you can do. So buy There's, a deep freezer there. They are no longer not in on the shelf. They are there. You can get one. It's fairly simple. Mm-hmm. Start storing your, your meat, your meat products. Yep. There's even like, there is a point with our program that I will just pass on the entire margin to somebody if they buy at a, at a, a certain, certain scale. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to me, that just allows me to keep bring, bringing more product in. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, yeah, a, yeah. I'm a conduit for guys like Daniel. I don't, you know, I, I make enough to pay the bills. That's all I need. Yep. You know, yeah. if, if you buy enough, meaning that I can buy enough from him and just channel it directly to you, I won't even take a margin. Yeah. It's, I'm totally fine with that. I do it with the local school district. Mm-hmm. We just, we just, it's a part of our program to, it's a part of our ground program you know, like, because what Daniel was saying, you can't take a burger to a local restaurant and expect them to pay what they need. So I'm like, okay, well, the school needs 2,000 burgers, like, a day, or the district. So I'm like, all right, well, I have that product, so I'll just give it to you at cost. And at least I know that that product is it's affordable for the school, going to kids, and allows this system to continue. Yep. You know? So good. Yeah. So 
I always ask everybody at the end of an episode what they would eat on their deathbed. I've already asked Jensen, so he's done. <laughs> what did I say? I think oh, it, I'm, I'm, gosh. That, oh, man, May I, have been sushi? No. All no. right, Jensen, Ooh. what would it be? See, people change yeah. their mind. You're gonna, oh. Yeah, I was going to say, you're going to have to go back. No, yeah, well, you, have what, to, you have okay. to go look at you have to listen this? the episode. No, 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 hold on. So, <laughs> I so do what I said. this is good, actually, though. Talk, say maybe something that you could source locally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no Papa John's. Daniel, okay. 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 God, a, I know yeah, you want to, thanks. but no, not this time. So maybe talk about, especially we've got a chef here, talk about a meal that would be so, so, so good on your deathbed that you could source locally. Oh, man. You know what's really funny is we had this exact conversation last night, and my son brought it up. He said, "What? I don't even know what, why he asked it, but he, he went around, and everybody was thinking about See, their... See, it's kismet. Yeah. Yeah. So. I know exactly what it would be. I would get local chicken. I would salt it in in uh locally harvested sea salt i get mine from pacific flake i guess it's a little bit out of the area but pacific northwest anyway salt it overnight in that a thigh uh then i would i would comfy it in lard from winfield farm it's it's a rendered mangalitsa lard it's the best flavored fat i've ever tasted um i'd braise that and then i'd put that chicken comfy thigh over uh, pasta from Brian at Edo, tossed in butter from um, from a stepladder creamery, and probably shave some of his cheese onto it too, and then parsley from wherever I can find it, or even just like fennel from that's growing all over the place. On the road. Holy yeah. shit. And probably, probably <laughs> some wine. There'd be some wine in there too. But I do appreciate that it's all meat, carbs, and dairy. I love that. Yeah. My, my last yeah, yeah. meal, yeah. I love that you throw parsley. Well, it's a, I mean, it's, it's, it's just like there, yeah. if something yeah. just yeah. make uh, shiny. Yeah, pasta, butter, yeah. braised chicken. That does sound So right. apparently I'm having Jensen come make my last That's meal. That's exactly yeah. right. You're going to yeah. die together. Yes, yeah. right, exactly. I, I think I'd, I we, my response last night was fairly uh, simple. It's probably my grandfather's same meal, which is uh, I'd probably have beef and potato and, mm. uh, you know, baked, baked potato and then some mushrooms because mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with mushrooms um, and then some big pile of vegetables locally. So, but I like Jensen's and you can get all of that far here. better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you can get all of that yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. You guys, thank you for letting me be a conduit for that conversation. Thank I you. Oh, man. Thanks it. for having us. Yeah. Thanks for letting us be a part of the conversation. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the Consumed Podcast. To educate yourself on everything we talked about, visit letsgetconsumed.com, where you can find book recommendations, websites, and other podcasts that Jensen and Daniel reference on the subject of the meat industry. Look for another season of the Consumed Podcast on June 1st. And until then, I'm Jamie Lewis.